Welcome to Arise Life, a community of believers being equipped, empowered, and released into their destiny. For more information, go to arisealife.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. All right, so we are turning towards Christmas. We're turning towards Jesus. And I've heard it said really, really well, the Old Testament is the question for which Jesus is the answer. And if you read the Old Testament and you don't end up seeing Jesus, you might be reading it wrong. Um, anybody wa- uh, seen a trial and watch a prosecutor twist words to try to get a witness to say things or twist their words? That's what the enemy does with the Old Testament. He grabs it and twists it so it doesn't point to Jesus. So let me say it again. If you're reading the Old Testament and it doesn't make you see a God who is giving himself wholly and utterly on our behalf, who loved us enough to give himself for us, you're not reading the Old Testament correctly. Because the Old Testament's the question that Jesus is the answer for. And so it's very important, I've, I've talked with our daughter, is She's amazing at asking questions. Anybody have children understand that the, the questions are the superpower of children? And the reality is you can't receive an answer for a question you don't have. Anybody here had somebody try to teach, you know, you need this, you need this, you need this. You're like, no, I don't have that question. I don't have that issue. And So what we're going to be doing is, over the next five weeks, is we're going to be looking at, through the Old Testament, how Jesus, the question that Jesus is the answer to. Jesus is the answer. But if we don't know the question, we're going to get it all wrong. Who here has been taught that Jesus is there to save you from God? Because God really wants to kill you. God hates you. God, you are a lousy, sick sinner, and Jesus, God's going to kill you. And Jesus jumped in and said, beat me instead. Does that sound like good, a good God to you? Please. It's so funny that we have standards for God that are different than we would have standards for, for, for each other. If half the things that get blamed on God were done by a human being, they would be in Supermax in Colorado, and they'd throw away the key. If you have a God who does things to you that you would, you would incarcerate a human being, you may not understand your God. Talk about yourselves. <sighs> so let's start. Um, where, where, um, where, let's start in where we start in the beginning. Do you have Bibles? It's really easy. Go to the front of it. Chapter 1, we have the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, right? God was there from the beginning, and he built this world for one purpose, and we'll see it. It's relationship. It is connection. It is to be known and to know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created everything in it. And by the way, this is just a a little side note. Um, is you'll see chapter um, 1 and 2 of Genesis. Anybody ever notice this? The world gets created twice. Anybody notice that? You know when you're bored in church and you start reading and all of a sudden it feels like chapter 2 is a rerun? You're like, what? So one of the things about it is all religions in the world fall into one, one hole or another. 
Either God is transcendent, completely other, utterly unattainable, absolutely not like us at all, and absolutely unapproachable, or he's just like us, but bigger and badder and uglier. So uh, think uh, God is totally unattainable. Think Hindu Brahma. You think of God who's bigger and badder and uglier and more powerful, think Zeus. Yeah, the Greek gods, right? So the thing about it is, is only in Christ do we see the two become one. Because in Genesis, we see God creating. It's trying to tell, do the impossible and show us two things that seem diametrically opposed. In Genesis 1, you see a God who is transcendent, above, who creates with a word, Right? He stands above it. He does not. Most of the creation myths have the gods ripping their bodies apart and making the earth out of themselves. You have that in Egyptian where Nut is the, is the god who's ripped apart and made. So that, and that humanity is actually made from the blood of the gods, things like that, right? He, he says, I created out of nothing. I created a word. I didn't need the, the creation. I don't, I have no need. I am totally okay in and of myself. And yet I create with a word. And there we see that. It said, God said, let us, by the way, who's the us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, God was not alone. He was in relationship from time and more. He doesn't, he, anybody here have been presented with a narcissistic God? We worship him because he needs our worship. It's all about you. Oh, God is totally fine. He is totally great. He was having a great life before he invented us. He was doing really, really well. He, for all eternity, he did not need us. He does. And so here we have, he says, let us make mankind, humanity in our image, in our likeness, so that they may, like us, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. That's not dominate and control, that's serve. We talked about this. Authority is given to serve, not to dominate, control, and use. To serve over the livestock and the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and then to be fruitful and multiply. So they, the humanity has a purpose they have a calling. They are there to fill the earth. They are to look like God, to be creative. So we see that. But then, and so, and then he says, I bless them to increase in number. Oh, right, okay. So we see this. God is transcendent. He is other. He is perfect. And essentially, he's unknowable. And the reality is that is absolutely true of God. Wouldn't you agree? Anybody here can know God in an absolute sense? Anybody here had just a glimmer of a revelation of who God is and your brain exploded? Yes. <laughs> right? That is the God we worship. He is a God who is worthy of worship. He is above us. He is perfect. He is sinless. He is holy. He is righteous altogether. Perfect in every way. But then, but see, a God like that is unknowable by nature. And in fact, throughout the ancient, the world, the only way you come to know a God like that is to be dissolved into nothingness, to become part of the sea of divinity. So, well, in, that's, that's what, that is what, uh, that is what nirvana is. It is this idea that you don't matter because when we look at the almighty God, you don't matter. Anybody here seen, had a vision of God and realized, oh, you guys remember uh, uh, Isaiah in chapter six of Isaiah, he goes, he said, oh my goodness, I'm a man of unclean lips, right? In the presence of God, you just realize everything that's not. 
and but the reality and and you have this sense and the and the and what the answer that's been in all the world's religions is you annihilate your person in order to know god but god didn't had a world without your person and he didn't like it he made you and so the, the, we see the other side. And so this is what the Bible's struggling to do is to reveal the two diametrically opposed and yet supernaturally joined aspects of who God is as revealed in the Trinity. Because in chapter two, we see a God who takes the earth and fashions it to make humanity, who breathes breath into his nostrils, who, who says it's not good for humanity to be alone. They need to be in relationship like us and breaks it apart. And we see a God who is knowable. We know his thoughts. It's not good for them to be alone. He's knowable. He is touchable, right? Because he fashions him from the earth. He, he is noble. And in fact, it talks about how they would walk with him in the cool of the day. I don't know about you as a kid. I thought of this, that would be the coolest, right? They, the walkable, noble, walk, walking. Like you, he is a God who is approachable, noble. How can these two things come together? They come together in the Trinity. And that is in fact the question that Jesus is the answer to. How does finite humanity come into a relationship with an infinite God? How does an imperfect humanity come into a relationship with a perfect God? So let's keep rolling and see how it all went wrong. <laughs> Anybody here, I, I don't know about you, I remember as a kid, I was about six or seven and I was just lying in bed fantasizing about what I would do to Adam and Eve when we got to heaven. <laughs> like I was like, man, you had one job, one job, right? Yeah, not eat the apple. So let's just go into there. So he places them in the middle of a garden. He gives them a job uh, and we have this, this whole thing. And he says, he says, he took the man and woman, put them in the garden, commanded them, don't, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden. He gives them a bazillion good choices, right? He gives them a purpose. He gives them good relationship, relationship with God, relationship with humanity. Now, here's a question. Why do you think God only walked with them in the cool of the day? Huh? Because it, it was too hot? <laughs> I submit to you, it's not a choice unless it's a choice. Uh, let me put it in terms of sexuality. If you... Do not hold yourself back from using your sexuality any way it is, then it is of no value when you actually give it to the husband or wife that God designed for you. The value comes from the choices you make outside of the presence of the other. Anyway, um, and he says, and, he, so he, and the reality is they get to make choices when God's not present because when God shows up, if you've experienced the presence of God, you realize all choices are off the table. You're like, yes, Lord, <laughs> right? Because when he shows up, there's no other answer but yes. He's lovely, he's beautiful. And God doesn't want to dominate and control us. He wants a bride who grows up to make into relationship. So moving on. So he says, he says, if you eat of that one tree, you will die. Anybody here tried to explain really complicated concepts to children? You know, like, like, 
Why is the, why is the sunset purple? Well, God likes purple. Yeah, that's it. God likes purple, right? You know, it's like, uh, well, it's because of refraction and because of certain light and the dust and da, da, da. Huh? God is dealing with children. He said, listen, you don't even have a concept of what death is, but I'm going to tell you, you eat that and you begin to die. You begin to be cut off from the flow of life. So let's go to chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Guys, if you want to know you're talking to the devil, it almost always starts with those phrases. Really? Come on. Was he serious? Listen, you know you want to. Anybody? Anybody had that conversation? You know what I'm talking about? Really? You know you want to. And then found out why you don't want to? Anybody? Three of us? Four of us? Nod? Twice? Yeah! Anybody done that experimental uh, discovery? Yeah. He said, he said, did the God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? What's he doing? He's like a prosecutor. He's twisting the words. Verse 2. The woman said, oh, no, no, no. We can eat of all the trees. See, he's already making God the God who, push, who, who doesn't let you, who keeps you from having fun. Who was exposed to that God as a child? Right? God is not. Listen, you know what the name of the garden that he put them in the middle of is? Eden. Do you know what Eden means? Pleasure. God is the author, the creator of pleasure, and he designed you for pleasure. And pleasure happens when you walk in who you are and in the right relationships, and it brings a blessing as no sorrow to it. Anybody here had pleasure that brought sorrow? He said, you may, she said, no, 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 no. We may eat of the trees of the fruit of the garden. Uh, but God did say, you must not eat of the fruit from that tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And what does the devil say? He ups his game. You will certainly not die. Technically, it's true. They didn't instantly die, but they did eventually die. But more importantly, their relationship with God died and their relationship with each other died. Anybody proven God true accidentally? Yeah. You will not, or anybody here, you were told not to look into something. It will hurt you. Don't try to find that out. Don't look, try, anybody here, who, who are my people? Illicit knowledge is your drug. Wow, that got awkward quickly. No, I'll tell you this. No, I'll give you an example. As a kid, I'm a, I'm a son of a librarian. I spent a lot of time in libraries. I'm bored. I spent my time looking for whatever you can find in libraries. Think of it as the early internet, for those of you who are not aware of what a library is. <laughs> Listen. Li oh, you're, oh, I'm not allowed to go there? Okay. What's in there? There are things I saw to this day that wounded me. There are things I read that hurt me. God says, don't go there because it will hurt you. Maybe not in the first moment, but eventually. He's a loving father. He's for us. He's not against your pleasure. See, the devil always loves to flip signs. Anybody here told that God made you sick? or God? No, the devil is the one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. God's the one that came that you may have life and have it abundantly. But the devil loves to flip signs, so he makes God our enemy and him the deliverer. And the one who brings you your pleasure brings you... Hmm. 
Anyway, so he said, you will certainly not die for God knows what will happen when you eat from it. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good from evil. We've gone over this a thousand times. Adam and Eve were what already? Made in whose image? God's image and likeness. Were they like God? Yes. Were they growing in likeness? Yes. Were they there all the way? Were they here? No. Were they moving? Yes. Anybody here got tired of the process and decided to help God out by speeding up the process and found that you stuck your hand in the spokes? <laughs> and that anybody who's slowing you down is the problem. Anybody here separated yourselves from people so you could go faster towards your destiny? Proverbs puts it this way. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. I'm not even where I'm trying to go. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Okay. He knows that you'll be like him, recognizing good and evil. How will they recognize good and evil? Because they'll come face to face with evil. Do you know what the word evil, the root of it is? It's not bad, it's striving. It's self-effort. You know what the root of good is? What effortlessly flows out of the heart of God. It's grace. Self-effort, striving, evil. Flowing out of the heart of God, good and life and love. Ah, yes. Verse six. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, when did she see this? When she listened to the serpent and grew closer. Anybody here? You're like, a little look won't hurt. Everybody's like, I'm triggered. <laughs> Anybody here tried to see how close you can come? Anybody here fallen in? You know the old line, you play on the bank, you fall in? Yeah, you probably saw my, my skid marks. <laughs> I had a little slip and slide installed. Anybody here tried to figure out how close you could get? If you're trying to figure out how close you can get, you've already gotten in. Because you've moved it away from this place where you receive the gift from God and you've made it about you getting yours. When the woman saw that it was pleasing and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Now, here's the deal. I like people are like, he was with her. I promise you, he was not with her. There would have been an argument. <laughs> If only, no, me first, right? You know what I mean? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. It's not who is burst, the woman or the man. That's not the issue, let me tell you. She just, you know, she's more of a go-getter in this situation. He was a little more. She was wanting wisdom. She was wanting wisdom. What's so wrong with that? Anybody here done the whole self-justification game? Yeah, okay. Working on, Working on it, good. Anyway, so she says he is, there is, in the same way that God only walked with him in the cool of the day, she was not always with Adam. We are going to have relationships in the presence of God where he is overwhelming. Those are awesome. 
But then there are choices we make corporately to pursue him when we're not feeling him that are so important. Listen, if you're anybody here, if you're not feeling God, do you think there must be something wrong? It's called the hot of the day. I'm okay. Side sidestep. There's been seasons of my life where I thought if I'm not feeling God, something's wrong. So I've pursued feeling him to the point where I lost him because I was pursuing a high rather than him. In the same way as sexuality is the cherry on top of relationship, not the purpose of relationship, my experience and feeling of him is the cherry on top, not the substance of relationship. The substance of relationship are the choices I make in the hot of the day, in the difficult times, in the hard times, when I don't feel him and I choose to believe. Abraham believed against belief. He, ha- he, didn't, he was like, oh my gosh, even though my body be dead, I believe. He didn't feel Jack Diddley. Moving on. (laughs) Who is Jack? We don't know Jack or Diddley. Anyway, moving on. Leave Jack alone. All right. (sighs) Here's the deal. Is our decisions we make contrary to our feelings are the ones that have teeth. And like I've said before, relationship only begins when offense occurs. Up to that point, it's a mutual adoration fund. You know, I love you, you love me. We're both purple dinosaurs, right? You know, up to that point, that's not love. Love happens when, oh my gosh, I think you're the Antichrist. (laughs) But I choose to believe who God says you are, even though you've obviously forgotten. That's when love begins. But then there is the choices that we make all by ourselves. I submit to you, the victories you make at 3 a.m. are more powerful than anything else you will ever accomplish in the glory. When you stand firm and say, everything seems like a lie, but I know the truth and I refuse to move, that has power. And here's the reality is the way you experience God by yourself, the way you experience God corporately, and the way you experience him in the presence of the manifest glory are all different. And the victories are different. Side note. All right. She saw it. Okay. She also gave some to her husband. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Anybody had your eyes opened? What's the worst thing ever? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, dang. Oh, dang. Uh, How do we put this back? How do we put this back? I don't know where this came from. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I I watched this lie go around. I'm just going to get real. I watched this lie go around, especially among youth, but it's across the board is they will go up to people who have not had sexual experiences to virgins and they'll say, oh, you just don't know what you're missing. Oh, you mean hell, shame, and condemnation? You, oh, do you mean the regret that you feel afterwards where you have to pursue more and more encounters just to cover up the pain of the fact that you are ripped from the gut all the way through, that you are invisible, that you've become a thing? Oh, that? Oh, that? My life sucks, so let's invite you into mine. Who can give a testify, a testimony to that? Who here, just be honest, who here has explored and discovered that truth? Okay, 
Listen, boys and girls, I'm just telling you. I'm telling you. You can't put that back in the bag. <laughs> but I can tell you he can heal and redeem all things. Is that not true? Listen, you are not discounted for what... That's why you went to the cross. He knew. He knew they were going to take it out of the bag. He knew they were... <laughs> He's like, one billion choices. What can go wrong? Only one bad one. He knew... He knew, roll the dice enough, you're going to come up seventh. <sighs> then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Why was God walking in the cool of the day? That's what he does. Why was God coming at this time? Was he coming to beat them? Was he coming to hunt them down? Was he coming to shame them? No. no. What happens? Let's read. Let's see what he does. It says, and what did they do? They hid. From what kind of God? Omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful God. How's that working for you? <laughs> Anybody had a cat? That We had this cat. It, it was so funny. Is She would hide just her head under the couch. And you're like, uh, hello, hello, nobody, you can't see me. Good to know, right? It, it, this is what's happening. I mean, it's like, like, this is not a game of hide and seek you're going to win. And they hid among the trees of the garden, the ones God had given them as a gift. They took the gift and they perverted it as a means not to receive God's love, but to hide from his love. And they sewed together fig leaves. Man, that must have been an interesting crafts project. <laughs> I just, I just, there, there's certain videos I want to watch later in life. I'm like, really? How did that go? You know, like, that's, so ladies, no offense, but that's how crafts, arts and crafts got invented. Because, because the enemy is the craftiest creature in the garden. So I'm just saying. <laughs> People are going to start throwing spools of thread at me. <laughs> All right, moving on. That was a joke. Joke. <laughs> wow, wow. Okay. Wow, all right, wow. Oh, ignore the distraction. All right. Okay. All right, then the man, they heard him, they hid, but the Lord God called to them, where are you? I'm going to give you a hint. Anybody had God ask you a question? He doesn't ask because he lacks knowledge. He's like, oh my gosh, where do they go? Gabriel, Gabriel, I thought you put a tracker on him. I thought we left an angel with him. Seriously, right? Who's watching the children? No, when God asks you a question, it is to help you know the question you need to be asking. Because the question defines the answer. Where are you, Adam? Now, Adam at this point, probably should have bought, you know, chose to phone a friend, right? Does he do that? Doesn't have any. <laughs> well, he's about to lose the only friend he's got. What does he say? He says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
who are my self-justifiers? You know what I mean? Like the minute things go bad, you start developing a narrative to cover yourself. Only me? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I haven't got the narrative right yet. Yeah, I heard you. He said, I heard you. And I was afraid I was naked, so I hid. But they weren't naked anymore, were they? They had leaves. You would have thought they'd be like, you want to see the fashion show? Look what we're doing with leaves in year zero, zero. I heard, he, and God said, what does he do? He asks another question. Who told you you were naked? Why is he doing this? He's trying to help him understand where this is all coming from. But when we refuse the question of God and we receive them as attacks and shame, guess what they manifest as? Shame. He said, we were afraid. Shame and fear go hand in hand. They were afraid of the only one who could help them now that they'd made a mess. See, what, remember what I said evil is? Striving. Arts and crafts. No. All right. Striving their self-effort to cover their nakedness rather than deal with the reason why they were afraid of each other. Because let's be real. What were they afraid of, the kangaroos? No, seriously, let me get real. There's two of them. There's two of them. Like, who are they hiding from? They're hiding from each other because in sin, you become my enemy. In sin, you become my enemy. You become the person I use, and you are the one I'm afraid of being unused by. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you? Man, he's getting so low on the questions. Like, you see, he started out like, where are you? Like, really big questions. And he comes down to the level of, hello. He said, who told you you're naked? You know, he said, you, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Again, have they answered one of his questions so far? No. God is after dialogue. We're after self-defense. And the, and the man said, the woman you put here with me. So who's at fault? The woman and God. Because I was fine until she came along. Okay, 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 okay. So there's the people. You know who you are. You come up with a whole scenario of why it made sense to do the stupid thing you did. Now, who are the people? The minute something goes down, you throw everybody else under the bus. Where are my people? Thank you. I see that hand. Recognize. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> no, no. The reality is all of us have broken ways that we manifest when we are triggered by shame and fear. Doesn't mean they're right. But recognizing all the questions God was asking was to help them recognize the problem. So they'd recognize who was what? The solution. Okay, the man said, the woman put here, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it. She actually took my mouth and chewed it for me. <laughs> I want to say something here. Do you know what the enemy is most afraid of? Your free will. 
See, one of the crazy things about this is in this, we see a God who is almighty. I know it's supposed to be just one L, but I like it better that way. Almighty. He is all powerful, right? How could the all powerful one create a world where we have free choice? Because he's that powerful. (laughs) But he uses his power to limit himself in some way we cannot comprehend to give us meaningful choices. Meaningful choices. And so they, he's done everything because you know why? Because it's our freedom that allows us to do a couple things. One, choose God. Listen, it's Stockholm syndrome if you're choosing someone because they made you. That's not healthy. You put people in prison for that. We already covered that. It is Stockholm Syndrome to dominate, control someone, to give them only one option. Here he's given them options. They can choose him or not. They gave him tons of options, but you know, one bad. He's, he gives them very real free choice, but that then becomes the free will that allows me to choose him and thereby destroy the enemy. The enemy is terrified of your free will. Now, who here has been be, become terrified of your own ability to make bad choices? The, I remember I, about 17 years of age, I, I really come on fire for the Lord, but I was becoming frustrated with my own abilities to limit my own stupidity. Anybody been in that place? And so I decided there was nothing else for it. I began to pray a deeply spiritual prayer. I was really proud of it. I told my mentor it, thinking he would give me attaboys. And I said, I'm praying that the Lord would make me a robot. I really thought I'd get like, you know, like, I just want your will, make me a robot, Lord, right? And in that moment, he just said, he'll never answer that prayer because God gave you your free will so you can choose him. That is actually the most powerful part of what makes you you. And the enemy makes you want to be afraid of your ability to make bad choices so that you won't embrace your power to agree with God, to let the heaven flow to earth and destroy the works of the enemy. You can't have it both ways, but if he can get you to fear your choice. Anybody here thought that the answer to dealing with sin was put yourself in a tiny box and and eliminate all your bad choices? Anybody found that works really well? Okay, I'm just going to get real. Anybody here tried to use a filter for the internet and put codes you could not hack, and then you you developed like high-level hacking skills so you could get around that three people blinked. All right, moving on. That was a word of knowledge. No, if your answer to sin is to build a world where you don't have bad options, it means you fear your, cho- your ability to choose, and so you're unable to partner with God to destroy hell in your life and the lives of those around you. And that's why Jesus came, to restore our power to choose, to restore our ability to partner with God, to restore us into a relationship with God. So the Lord said to the serpent, because... so." I, I want to say this. So, what does the word so mean? It's not a needle's flowing, pulling thread. It's a conjunction. Conjunction, function. Yeah, no. So, it's a conjunction that says everything that happened before. What happened before? Fundamental refusal to actually have a conversation. Fundamental refusal to actually take upon themselves the consequences to recognize what they've done. Anybody have anybody in your life, not you obviously, who's, who fundamentally refuses to recognize that the, the pile of dung they're standing in came out of themselves? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know three people? Yeah, okay. In that moment, the only thing you can do at that point is let somebody have what they chose. 
And that so is he saying, if this is what you're choosing, I need to let you know what you've chosen. Tell him, Bob, what's behind curtain number one? <laughs> the serpent, because you've done it, curtain number one. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. We understand the serpent to be the enemy. I don't understand what's going on here. Anybody who tells you they do is smoking something. You will crawl on your belly. I'm serious. Not everything is intelligible in scripture. We, be, we make really bad theology when we try to figure out things that are not figure outable. Just saying. You will crawl in your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and your offspring, woman, and between your offspring and hers. And he, who's he? Who's the offspring? He's talking about Jesus. See, from the very first moment of a bad choice, God was already sending Jesus. From before they, in fact, Paul puts it this way, before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. He said, before you and I even made a decision, God's like, well, I kind of know how this is going to roll. What, what's, Jesus is not plan B, Jesus is plan A. He said it is worth it, even though they make bad choices, it's worth it that they be able to choose life Choose me, choose their purpose, choose their destiny. It's worth it. I'm going to, and his son is being sent. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Which one is fatal? The crushing, right? Did the enemy strike Jesus? Yeah. Did it take? No. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. So one of the things the enemy does is he takes the place of your destiny and makes it a place of trauma and terror. Anybody here said yes to your calling of God on your life and it took you out into a scary place? Business people? <laughs> They're like, why didn't I keep my day job? <laughs> right? There, this is the thing is, is you were never designed to do your destiny by yourself. He always meant it to be supernatural. Just put that out there. This was, and your desire will be for your husband. Instead of having a, a, a submitting one to another, you're going to be manipulated and dominated by your desire for him and he'll be totally clueless. Remember what I said about men are native narcissists apart from Jesus? To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree because about which I commanded you. God's not being petty. He's trying to show them the world they've chosen. Why? Desperately hoping they'll turn to him. Anybody seen somebody getting a bad choice and you're like, this is your last chance. Come on, do it. Make the right choice. I'm here for you. I'm going to help you. No, I'm good. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now they were living in a garden where they're like... They're just living, they're living in purpose. They're not just chilling. It says that he named the animals. Do you know what the word naming in Hebrew means? It's actually creative. He was helping to define them. He might've actually been manipulating their DNA for all I know. God, he is helping God create in a sense. And here he has purpose and he has destiny. Both of them do together and it's wonderful and it's great and everything's wonderful. And then they go out to this place of what? Striving. Striving, where? diminishing returns the, through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life 
Listen, God designed us for work, but not so that we would be dominated, controlled by it, but that he could flow through us to bless the world. That we, anybody here, you stepped into your purpose, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. People are like, that looks so hard. And you're like, no, it's awesome. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Anybody here been a slave of your salary? Until, since you were taken to the dust, you returned. Okay, here's where we're going to end. The story I grew up believing, I don't think anybody told me, but is that God chased them out of the garden. I would submit to you God's presence. Anybody here had God show up with conviction and you ran the other way? I, God has no ability to be other than truth. And they hid from it and kept on hiding. That flame of fire was literally the flame of his presence. Now the reality is, is Jesus was slain from when? The foundation of the world. God can look on sin. How do we know? Because already in chapter four, Cain does what to his brother? Kills him. And what does God do? I can't talk to you right now. You're a sinner. I mean, that's a pretty good sin, isn't it? I mean, let's just be on a scale of one to 10. That's somewhere up there, right? And God has this whole conversation about grace for him. He actually tells him, listen, dude, I know what's in your heart. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You just did it. He has this whole conversation with him in the middle of his sin because God's not offended by your sin. You are. Because he took all that sin upon himself from the foundation of the world. He pursued because Jesus is the answer to us, not to God. I've dug up a lot, but don't worry. We have more weeks coming. People are like, ah, to be continued. That's right. No, because the entire story of the Old Testament is a development of this question that Jesus is the answer. But there's no waiting because you have Jesus available to you today. If we have the worship team come up. If in all of our conversation today, I've raised impossible questions about your choices, free will, who sinned, this man or me, uh, who's at fault, how do I fix this? God is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He's available today to meet you, even as we worship. Bring it before him. Say, God, I'm so sorry. These, here, have these fig leaves. I'm so sorry. My own efforts are not enough. My striving is only making things worse. Oh God, I can't stop me from sinning. I can't stop me from screwing up my life. I can't stop. But God, 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 thank you for your son. Thank you that you've made a way. I don't even understand it. But Lord, I ask you today to meet me right here, right now. I choose not to run from you. I choose not to hide from what I've done. I choose to lean into you to receive your grace, your healing, your deliverance, and your solutions. If we could stand and worship.